Today is part two in the sermon series, Making Space for God. The passage comes from Matthew 25 and is the final speech that Jesus gives in his teachings. So listen for how Jesus's words might fall upon us as we begin a new year from Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick and in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not give me clothing sick and in prison and you did not visit me then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Last August, I landed in Kilimanjaro Airport in Tanzania around 8 o'clock at night. It took me a good two to three hours to navigate all the airport lines. Three lines to stand in just to get a visa. Two more lines to process the paperwork in regards to my lost luggage, which apparently had stayed behind in Amsterdam. When I finally made it out to the curb, I was greeted by my host, David, who would drive me the more than two-hour trip to the base of Mount Kilimanjaro. And there, in the shadow of the world's highest freestanding peak, sits a little tiny orphanage on a dirt road. Now, I had thought I would stay in the orphanage, but turns out the orphanage is just really one room where the girls sleep in an adjacent room of bunk beds for the boys to sleep. And so instead of going into the orphanage late at night, I went next door to the home of the folks who run the orphanage. The whole family was waiting up for me, though it was almost midnight. And I gotta be honest, 
After 40 hours of travel, I was in no mood for chit chat with new folks. I didn't even have a toothbrush to brush my teeth and I was famished. So they took me into a small dining room where they had prepared for us a snack, a big bowl of piping hot rice, some fried bananas and some warm tea. Nama, the director of the orphanage, led me into the dining room and before I made my way to the table, she pulled out a big yellow bowl and she found a pitcher of warm water and she began pouring this warm water over my hands and then she set down the pitcher and she sprayed my hands with soap and then she picked up the pitcher again and poured water over my hands until I was washed clean and then she handed me a nice soft towel and I felt like I was in a scene from the Bible from 2,000 years ago. Such intimate, gracious hospitality, and despite my weariness, I felt so at home, so welcomed. I wonder, as I read today's scripture lesson, if it is this kind of gracious hospitality that Jesus has in mind when he says to his followers, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Today's scripture lesson marks a crescendo in Matthew's entire story of Jesus' time here on the earth. Throughout Matthew, Jesus is known as a teacher. He gives us lesson after lesson after lesson. And this lesson, the one that we read today, is Jesus' final parting lesson to us. It's the climax of all the messages. And as Jesus so often does, he makes his message with an image or a story. A moment of judgment when Jesus describes himself coming to us as a king, a king over all the people. And on his right hand, the king places the sheep. And on the left hand, Jesus places the goats. And the sheep are those who will enjoy forever bliss, eternal joy. And the goats, those who will suffer an eternal curse. But how is it that this king decides who are the sheep and who are the goats. Jesus says, sheep are those who visited the prisoners, fed the hungry, clothed the naked, welcomed the stranger, comforted the sick. I'm wondering if the sheep are, are like those people, some of you, 40-something of you who have already signed up to go out tomorrow morning when it's negative seven degrees to stock the shelves at the Crossline Community Food Pantry so that our own neighbors, those who fall in between the cracks of the city's social service safety net, will have enough food to eat this week. Maybe the sheep are those like the woman whose story I read just this week in the Wall Street Journal, who up in the Dakotas is gathering up bicycles and providing them to those who don't have adequate housing so that they can bicycle to work. The sheep, I think, are like some of you who, before you leave church, you get some of those little tiny things of grape juice with the little wafer on top, and you take them out to people, friends in our own congregation who live in nursing homes and can no longer come to church and you share with them Holy Communion. The sheep might be those of you, I know some of you have already done this, who called a neighbor this week when the snows came in and said, I'm on my way to the store 
I'm going to pick up bread and milk for you. What else do you need? The sheep are like those who welcome the stranger at the border, be they from Afghanistan or Mexico, and help them not just come across the border, but find housing and jobs. The goats, I'm too busy. Call me next time. I don't want to get involved just at this moment. I love what one scholar says about this passage. Here he says, Jesus makes clear that serving the least of these is not what we do for extra credit. Jesus does not judge us in this story by any other measure than this. How did we treat the least of these? How did we serve human need in our own midst? Oh, memorize the Bible. It's a great activity. You'll love it. Study theology. I love theology. Go to church every single Sunday. Do it all. It's great. But what Jesus says in this passage is that the sole measure is how did we treat those with human needs? Well, church, I've been around here a while. I know you. And so many days, I sit back and I stand in awe of your sheep-like behavior, of your incredible generosity, the ways you serve, not just through what we do as a church, but what you do individually in your own personal lives. You are amazing. But I also know that sometimes you feel a little bit like I do, like a goat. When I got back from sabbatical this fall, I had to tell Nancy Ralston that I couldn't tutor this year at Hartman. My schedule was just too busy to be a consistent math or reading tour for one of the, tutor for one of the kids at Hartman. I hated telling Nancy that, but there are only 24 hours in every day time, the lack of time, it can get in the way of our serving the least of these. But there's a second reason that we sometimes feel a little bit like the goat, and that's because we're afraid. It's risky, and for good reason. Last fall, I traveled with a team from our congregation to Alabama on the human rights journey. Our first stop was at this little teeny tiny museum that highlighted key people in the civil rights movement who had made a big difference in our country in the 1950s and the 1960s. And my co-facilitator, Dr. Claudia Highball, an African-American pastor, had challenged our group the night before as we went through the museums to pay attention to the stories of the ordinary folks. She said, we all know the name of Rosa Parks, we all know Martin Luther King, we all know what they did, but they didn't do it alone. Who are the ordinary folks who made a difference? Learn their stories. And so in this first museum, I walked in and I saw a photograph of a woman who looked like me, white as me. Her name was Viola Greg Luuzo, 39 years old, the mother of five, living in Detroit, Michigan, when she sees on the news the voting rights marches in Montgomery, Alabama. And she sees that some of those who are marching for voting rights are being clubbed. And she can't believe it. 
She gets in her car, alone she drives from Detroit to Alabama, and she begins transporting folks who live on the outskirts of town into the city so that they can participate in the March for Voting Rights. And one day, she's driving along the highway, transporting folks to the march. A member of the Klan shoots her. At the end of that museum, I kept thinking about how she gave her life that others might know the freedom that I have always taken for granted. And there was this interactive computer screen, a, a computer screen that was as tall as these stained glass windows, and it floating along that computer screen were names like Viola and Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King, and names of people in our own group started appearing because there was this little computer where you could type in your name and say, I will become an activist. I will act to make a difference that all might know justice and freedom. And so you could just go in and type your name in and it would appear and float on the screen. And I went over and I waited my turn and then I hesitated because I knew that to put my name there, it meant I had to wrestle with what does it mean today to serve. In one of his poems, Wendell Berry writes, so friends, every day, do something that won't compute. Love the Lord, love the world, work for nothing, take all that you have, and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. I love Wendell Berry's challenge to do something every day that does not compute. Love someone who does not deserve it. Wendell Berry, I think, in that poem echoes the challenge of Jesus in the text, open yourself up, become vulnerable, care for the least of these. But there is something that the goats and the sheep have in common. Both the sheep and the goats ask Jesus the identical question, when? When did we see you sick? and visit you? When did we see you in prison and not visit you? When did we clothe you, Jesus? We don't remember that. When did we fail to offer you a cup of cold water, Jesus? No memory of that. And Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Both the sheep and the goats are shocked Surprised, stunned, neither group, neither the sheep nor the goats realized that how they treated the homeless man on the corner on the plaza was how they treated Jesus. Neither group realized that how they treat the child at the border is how they treat Jesus. The stunning news of Jesus and Jesus' final crescendo lesson to us is that if we want to make room for God, we will serve. Service is not for extra credit. Service is how we open ourselves up to the living Christ. I have long loved the words of Rachel Naomi Rinkin. She's a chaplain and an author, and she reminds us that service it's not just a box that we check, something we sign up for. Oh, yeah, it might be that. But she says it's really the work of the soul. She says service is a return to what is most genuine and real in each of us. She reminds us that we just become distracted 
and every act of service bears witness to the possibility of freedom for all of us. And, in, and every time anyone becomes more transparent to the light in them, they will restore light to the whole world. I love this idea that she floats that service is setting free our true souls. It's not an add-on. It's who we are. It's how we experience the divine today in the here and now by lifting up the least of these. Jesus surprises all of us when he reminds us that if we really want to make space for God, if we want to make room for God, if we want to know God, we could start by looking into the faces of the least of these. It's been a little over 10 years now since I accompanied our high school youth group on its spring break mission trip to Nicaragua. One of the kids in that group was dead set against going on that trip, but his mom forced him to go. That was my kid. At midnight, the night before the trip, he stormed out of the house and took a walk, and I thought to myself, well, I don't know what we're going to do if he doesn't come home before we leave for the airport. We were leaving for the airport at 3.30 in the morning to catch a 5.30 a.m. flight. By some miracle, we made it to the airport and then experienced flight delay after flight delay, and we didn't make it to Nicaragua till almost midnight. And at that point, all of us were doubting the wisdom of this trip. But the next morning, the sun came up and we boarded the bus to go out to the village where we would serve. And the kids were in better spirits and they were chatting and just having a good time with each other. We made our way up the mountain into the rural parts of Nicaragua. And I noticed all of a sudden the bus was silent. And I looked around and I saw each kid looking out the window at the folks living in tin shacks and grass huts. They were seeing the children playing in ragged clothes in the muddy streets. They were seeing homes, nothing like Brookside or Prairie Village or Leewood. They were seeing mud roofs. The kids had never, ever seen up close in poverty the kind of poverty that they were seeing in the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and they were just stunned into silence. That night, we got to the little place where we would spend the week. The kids all found their own bunk beds. All around us, the only thing you could see were coffee plants, banana plants. It was lush and green, and when the sun set, you couldn't hear any city noise, just chickens and dogs and stars like you had never seen before. There was no Wi-Fi, there was no TV, there was no computer, just silence. We were all exhausted and right before I found my way to my bunk bed, the kid who was most resistant to going on this trip came into my room and he sat down on my bunk bed and he said, Mom, I just need to tell you something. This place is paradise. 